0: Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. Keith, good to see you this morning. Good morning. And so we are uh, today, uh, based on our discussion last time, uh, the question that came up after we recorded was, "Why are we not experiencing continued transformation? The gospel has saved us; mm-hmm. we are now new creatures. But what are the things that are hindering mm-hmm. our continued growth in Christ? Our using a Bible word here, our sanctification. We've been justified. What what are the things that hinder our sanctification? Why do we get tripped up? Why do we fall down on certain things? So." Why is my transformation hindered (laughs) at points
1: in my walk with God? Yeah, I think there's a you know you can answer that question a bunch of different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, you know I think we'll we'll lean in on some things that uh, are you know part of the answer. I don't we don't have all the answers, but um, one of the things I think of initially, well the question comes up because it's like if I'm reborn, you you sort of stated it already, but if I'm reborn, right, and um, if the old's gone, right. then why am I still experiencing all these longings and cravings that aren't good for me? Yeah. You, know, you guys talked last week about it's, it's a real thing. It happens in, in real space and time. It's a literal rebirth. A regenerative heart has been given to you. Yeah. Your heart of stone's been taken away. God's given you a heart of flesh. Well, why is this heart of flesh that's good longing for these things that are still bad? Yeah. There's even the, the, the passage where Paul, and every, a lot of folks are familiar with it, where Paul's like, you know, I, I don't do the things that I know I need to do. And I, I still right. do the things that I, that I don't even want to do. Who's going to deliver me? And, you know, thanks be to God for, for Christ. Right. But even by, and there's some debate, um, for those of you who care, right. there's some debate whether Paul was saying that that was a pre conversion sort of sentiment for him. There are those theologians who think, Paul didn't struggle with that after he got saved. Right. That was new to me when I when I read it. Right. I think it's perfectly reasonable to think that Christians deal with that even after they're saved. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, it's it's that whole it, Paul talks about. He uses the word "sarks" flesh mm-hmm. to describe, and I think the NIV, the New International Version, translates it as "sinful nature." Mm-hmm. So there's this component, Romans seven, and he used the present. He uses present tense in Romans seven mm-hmm. where he talks about right now. Yeah he is wrestling with this the things I don't want to do because apparently there's newness in him Mm -hmm. I do so easily and the things I do want to do they're very hard Mm -hmm. who and he comes to the end of seven and he and he says, Who's going to rescue me from this body yeah. of death? And then 8 1, therefore there's no condemnation in Christ right. Jesus. So there's this real struggle, right? Mm-hmm. There is a real struggle of this, whatever this nature is, this flesh, what Paul meant by that. And I think he means our physical body that he later says is going to be changed right. at the resurrection. But there's this new nature in me that there's a war
1: going on. Yet, we read in places like 1 John. Right. The, the beginning, of the first John one talks about this light, Yeah. Um, you know this this light that's come into our hearts, and we long for the light. Right. And then, and then in chapter two, it progresses to my little children, I'm writing these things to you, so that you may not sin. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm writing these things because there's this expectation of yeah. a Christian that you don't live like you used to live. That's right. It's not acceptable. That's right. Paul struggles. Yes. We struggle. Yes. Uh, but th- there's this expectation in Scripture that's very clear that Christians live differently. Yeah. It goes on in, in chapter 2 of 1 John that says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. Uh, he's the propitiation for our sins. Mm-hmm. And by this we know that we have come to know Him. Like This is how we know if we know, if we know Him, if we keep His commandments. Mm-hmm. And then, and then later on, it, it says in, at the end of verse five and the beginning of six, "By this we may know that we're that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked." That's right. There is this clear expectation in the Scriptures, old and new, that if you love the Lord and if you're in Christ in the New Testament, you do what He says to do. That's so, right. That's right. Because um, I, I could, I could, I could. I can imagine where the, the folks who are listening to us are going, you know, what's the big deal? Yeah, Christian sin. And why are you guys stressed out about the fact <laughs> right. that uh, Christians aren't living differently than the, than the non-Christian world? Right. Well, because the Bible says we shouldn't. That's right. Uh, there's this story in the Old Testament about the Queen of Sheba coming to take a look at the temple right. because she's heard so much about it. She's heard about Solomon and, and his wisdom. And she comes... And that interaction reminds me of, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he talks about the light um, and the city on a hill. That's right. The queen of becomes she sees Jerusalem literally situated on a hill, yeah. and she's blown away. Yeah. It's this foreigner. Mm-hmm. She comes to see the glory of Yahweh, yeah. and she is blown away by it. In the same way, in our world today, in Jesus' economy and in the economy of the New Testament, right. the world should show up See the church, which is now the new city on a hill. That's right. There is no temple anymore. We are the temple. That's right. The, 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 the world, the lost world, should see the city on the hill and be absolutely and utterly amazed at the difference. Yes. Um, so that's the question. That's yeah. the essence. I said, that's a huge, no, that's long good. introduction to this notion of, yeah. well, why do you guys care? Well, because our our righteousness as a people. Right. Should be a draw yeah. to the lost world. That's right. Um,
0: well, if our sanctification is as good as done yet not finished, mm-hmm. then there has to be some manner of striving for. It. I can't be content with my sin. Right. And First John, in, in fact, First John chapter three, I think it's he, he's going to make first one to ten ish. He's going to make this argument that if I keep on sinning and'm okay with it, yes, I belong to the devil. But if I fight against that sin. Right. I, that's right because he says the seed of God remains in him, speaking of the Holy Spirit. So, sanctification, if it's a foregone conclusion, then there's this manner of fighting for it. And yeah. so, therefore, it kind of matters that I put this away and strive toward that which is not yet
1: happened yeah. fully. Right. Yeah. I, ha- I have to read this since yeah. you brought it up. It says this is this is uh, chapter three of First John chapter three, uh, the end of verse nine. And he cannot keep on sinning because yeah. he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now that's that's really strong language. Yeah, it is. But it's right. It's right. It's Absolutely. right. Of course it's right. It's coming from the scriptures.
0: <laughs> that's, so it's right.
1: I Man, I I guess to, to start the conversation for me, I, I have sort of bowled this thing down to four sort of ideas about what it is that that both leads to transformation and the absence of these things in our lives might hinder our transformation as believers. The first one is is knowledge. In Hosea 4.6, the Mm -hmm. Bible says that my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. There's this connection to flourishing. This connection of the ability to live consistent with God's instruction and experience the benefits and the blessings from that right. are connected to knowledge. Um, if if all we needed was the spirit, God would have never given us 66 books. Right. He would have never seen fit to put all this down in writing over all these centuries. That's right. um, the truth is that we need a changed heart from the spirit. Right. And we need to engage in understanding mm-hmm. who God is. Jesus, in in, um, in John 17, he says, "This is eternal life: to know God yeah. and to know His Son." That's right. Like we can't. And the the truth is, we can't know God apart from knowing the Scriptures. That's right. So, um, you know, it, it kind of goes back to this this notion in Peter of the priesthood of believers. Right. We are all priests now. There aren't these different levels in the church. There's not this body of Christ, and there's the super high level ones that are priest like and scribe like. They know all the Bible, and then there's the rest of us who they teach. That's right. That's right. That's nonsense.
0: Yeah. All of us have access to the same knowledge, which is key for us. We have God's Word. It's the source of knowing God. And, and since Hosea makes the claim he, he makes, then knowledge is key for us in growing in righteousness because God is righteous. We know God. We learn what righteousness is. We have a new desire for it. We begin to go after mm-hmm. it. And so the fact that all of us have the same access, the same Holy Spirit, and the same capacity to know God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I would say that's, that, that has no bearing on my intellectual capacity. Right. God's bigger than my intellectual capacity. In fact, James says those who are poor, whether it's economically or in any other fashion, he says they're rich in faith, Mm -hmm. right? So there's this sense in which all of us are before God, have equal access, and can know Him fully. That's right. That's glorious. Yes.
1: And so that knowledge is key in my growth. Yes. And you read in the Psalms where David is just... You know, his spirit just pours out before God. This longing for God's law—that's right. And when you know, you can read that, and if if you if you're coming from a Western context, you're like, um, "I'm longing for the rules of God." No, that's not what David's saying. What David's saying is, "I long for the wisdom and the understanding that comes from knowing the world as it really is." That's right. And not how it has seemed to me or appeared to me or maybe how I have been taught all my life. Right. What David's saying is, God, I I need, I long to know um, I, the folks who sort of listen to me a, a lot, which might be if, if somebody's listening to this podcast, I love this analogy of a minefield because yeah. the world is a little bit like that because it's fallen. Right. And what we long for is to know where the mines are. Right. We, we I don't look I'm not interested in the technical aspects of geography. Right. I'm interested in flourishing and life and the preservation of life. That's right. The scriptures are our means to know those things. That's right. And so I would um I would call this knowledge sort of pursuit, it's sort of worldview calibration. Right. Like none of us shows up without a worldview. So it's not like we're gonna adopt a new world or adopt a worldview. Every human being sees the world and they've made sense of it in some way that they know how. Right. What we're saying here as a believer, if we want to if we want our lives to experience the transformation that are promised that is promised us in the scriptures, we we become born again and then we ask ourselves the question, how much of what I know about the world is true. Right. Because it could be very well possible that things I have always believed, like firmly. Right. They're just flat not even true. Right. Like right. things I've learned in the church right. are not true. You've assumed them to be true. You've assumed them to be true. Right. And and as a when a person becomes a believer, they walk they either walk the aisle or they have yeah. an experience on the mountain. Whatever it is that happens to them, right. they they show up saying, Look, I'm born again. Right. I see the world differently now then their journey begins to shape their view of the world in a way that's consistent that's right. with understanding and knowing yeah. the God of the Bible. Yeah. And that
0: calibration is key. And I love the word calibrate because as we get to know God, we begin to calibrate, hone in on what mm. is true and back out those cultural assumptions. Yes. And, and then the noise starts going away and there's God. Yes. Right? And, and then we learn to put him into right context. I was when we were kids, this was before cell technology, uh, this was in the early eighties, late seventies, early eighties, we wanted at night, had to go in, mm-hmm. we wanted to stay in touch. So we saved up money and about four of us bought these Motorola walkie talkies mm-hmm. that had the big antenna. And and, and and you had to get on the right frequency and then you had to begin to dial it in to clarity. A lot of noise. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we lived close to a mile apart in some instances, and, man, you could hear each other late yep. at night. You dial, dial that sucker in until it got clear, and you could, like, hey, man, what's happening? <laughs> and,
1: and you could, could walk around. Yes. It wasn't atta- attached to a, a wire or a cord.
0: <laughs> That's right. But you had to calibrate that thing mm-hmm. to tune in to hear clearly right. what Ben down the street was saying. Yes. And so there's a lot of noise in right. our world and this worldview calibration is dialing that sucker yes. in to we oh there's God
1: and the great lie of the enemy of our souls is that you don't need to study the scriptures yeah to to get a working understanding of your world that's right look the things that you were taught as a kid the things you picked up along the way in church yeah. the things that you hear on Sundays it's, it's enough yeah to give you enough information to navigate this world well and to make good decisions about Uh, family, about relationships, about career, about um, all sorts of things. Right. And the truth is that it, this, this requires work. And so the question that, that that I think we should all ask ourselves is um, what I think we know what we valued by what we spent the time on teaching ourselves. Like, what is it that we've spent time on to learn? Mm. Right. And if I've, all of us have spent time to learn things. We've learned about hunting. We've learned about uh, SEC football. We've we've learned about poetry and artwork and all sorts of things. All of us are spending time gaining knowledge about something. And there's this sense in which um, that there's just not enough time in my world for me to know these things. Right. And the truth is, you know, we send our kids to school and we teach them. We teach them Georgia history.
0: Yeah.
1: We teach them world history. We yeah. teach them mathematics. Right. We spend time uh, teaching them various social principles. Right. Um, And and some of us even spend money on that. Some of our kids are going to schools that cost us money. You pull out from that education, the thing that we believe is going to prepare them to thrive as adults. Right. And you ask yourself the question... whether it's in church or in the school or in the home or at the table. Right. What have we spent our time mm-hmm. teaching these guys? Right. Because you, you think about the mass amount of knowledge that someone gains by the time they're 18, just right. in their world. That's right. You can almost memorize the Bible. Right. By then. Right. The question is, why don't we value it enough right. to do that? To give it that kind of time. Yeah. And that's
0: the calibration that gets our knowledge tuned in to what's... Right. Accurate because what we know we're going to live out. That's yeah. just human. You don't have to be Christian. You can just do the science of biology and human physiology to recognize what we know we do. That's right. Which is why Hosea says what he says, right? right. For, it, for lack of knowledge, God's people are destroyed. Right. We know God. You're left with what happens in the Gospels. You either
1: come after Jesus or you're going to walk away. Yeah. There's no middle ground there. Yeah, what we say as Christians that we believe is that the most important question anyone could ever uh, ask themselves is, is there a God and who is He? Yeah. And can I, what does, and if He if He is, then what's the impact on me? Yeah. Um, that is the greatest question any human being could ever ask. If that's the greatest question, then the greatest pursuit any any person, any human being could ever pursue would be understanding and knowing this God. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I, I used to say...
0: Uh, to my students the king of all disciplines is theology because mm. that discipline then influence, influences how you see all the other disciplines. Right. You don't start with science. You don't start with math. You don't start with history. You start with God. And if you start with God then then he begins the, to be the lens mm. by which you see everything else in a redemptive manner. Otherwise those things become your gods. That's right. right. And so knowledge is key. Right? Alright, right, so what's the other component you see?
1: Well, I think um I think kind of going hand-in-hand hand with knowledge, and this one is, this one is um, it's definitely a third-tier issue to me when it comes to the faith. We've talked about mm-hmm. um, first, second, third-tier issues, but the, a third-tier issue to me that I think I would propose is exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that we expose ourselves to? And right. as a human being, we have, this, um, we have this capacity to be shaped by the messaging that we, that we experience around us. Right. Some of it's language, some of it's things that we see, some of it's um, a part of our culture that it's completely unbeknownst to us. Mm-hmm. But we are con- continually being shaped by the things that we're exposed to. Right. Um, you know, if if a person who who um, had been alive in the you know 17th century showed up today, I think they would be shocked and amazed at how much time we spend staring at this rectangular box in our homes. Right. Um, they would they would just be blown away by like how much time. We give to that. Well, that messaging is coming at us, and the enemy would tell us that that messaging doesn't really affect me. Right. It's like, no, I, I, what I'm doing is I'm taking the good, right, and I'm taking the bad, I'm tossing it out. But the truth is that continual exposure right. to something that's ungodly can, um, can begin to break down barriers and walls in our minds that would reject that. Right. Uh, we begin to learn to accept it, yeah. right?
0: I think we know that innately. I think because of the fallen nature of the world, we shove that knowledge down. And here's how I think we know that innately, because when it comes to sports, we know that if you spend time in the weight room— and more time, and more time, you're going to be better. Right. That's a physiological, it's a biological fact. fact you yeah. can tell the kid who don't spend time in the weight room, he's not going to flourish. Mm-hmm. Spends time in the weight room, we, we even say they're a gym rat, right? They're going to be the kid squatting 600 pounds. Right. They're going to make the NFL yeah. likely because they spent the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? they put in the time. But when it comes to our soul, <clears throat> maybe it's because we're naturalists at heart. Oh, maybe my soul's not that important. Maybe we don't even have a soul. And so what I put in it and the time I spend on it it's really not yeah. that important
1: right yeah I forget who it was I don't know who came up with this term but I know there's a guy I'm aware of that that used it a bunch but a practical atheist I mean we yeah. live our lives in such a way and we make the decisions based on what we allow ourselves to be exposed to right um, as if we don't believe our soul is impacted by it right but um, so I think when it comes to exposure we, we do see in the scriptures this constant warning of if you go spend time with those people, right? They're going to, they're gonna, they're gonna, you're gonna tend toward assimilation. Yeah, that's right. See, very early with the, the the um the Israelites when they're going into the Promised Land, God's warning them over and over and over again. Listen, there's a people in this land. They're successful. They have cities. Yeah. They have. You guys have been in slavery. Yeah. For four hundred years, you're a you're a wandering people. Yeah. You have goats and sheep and pastures. Yep. You're gonna go find on the other side of the Jordan a people with walls yeah. and buildings and cities and civilizations. Right. And and I'm gonna give them to you. Yeah. You know, you're gonna you're gonna find yourself in a city you did not build, mm-hmm. enjoying vines that you did not plant. And what God is saying to them, when you see those people and you see they your sort of your admiration begins to build like, wow, yeah. look at that. Yeah. You're gonna have a tendency to want to follow after yeah. their gods yeah. you're going to attribute that success to their gods yes yeah. and no matter how many of those cities yeah. I bring down on behalf of you yeah. you're still going if you if you allow yourselves to be exposed to their gods yeah. you're going to try to follow their gods and they're like no no we would never do that no way we wouldn't do that yeah. they did yeah. over and over and over and even when they took down the temples they left up The the high places. That's right. And so it was very rare that they. And so the the point is if we, Christians, who we cannot deceive ourselves and think that if I expose myself over and over again to all this messaging that would tell me that God is either not real or a God that would require me to reject Mm. someone's lifestyle, that God's not worth following. Eventually, particularly for the next generation, particularly for our children. They're going to begin. It's called a sociological term is acculturation. Yeah. We're going to assimilate. And what God's trying to do is he's trying to preserve a people. Yeah. He's not, he's not asking us to assimilate. Right. He's asking us to bring them in. Right. So that they can see the glory of God and they can assimilate. Yeah. The salvation for them practically would be their
0: acculturation to the kingdom yes. of God, that's, not the other way around. That's the message of the gospel. That's right. That's right. Sermon on the Mount is the culture of God's kingdom, which is a whole discussion of itself, right? Right. Don't bring them into that. Don't turn this into what they are. And and, and so, yeah, the, the, I think the power of culture is perhaps the most powerful unseen force on the planet sociologically. Gravity is the unseen force of mm-hmm. the physical world. Right. I think culture is the unseen force of humankind right and because it's a bunch of assumed values and answers to questions that haven't been asked and it's lived out and and when when you name those questions ask them and answer them you've created a culture right right and so if we don't ask
1: them and answer them we will acculturate to people who have yeah and and the Particularly the, the generation that follows us yes. or the generation that, you know, it's as adults, maybe we thought through some of these things. It's, right. a, it's the generation behind the adults yeah. that are really making a lot of assumptions. Yeah. And they're really experiencing, um, they're, they're, they're being shaped because they're not asking the questions. They're not. We're we sorry. have to ask the questions on behalf of them. What they're doing is observing. That's right. And so they're observing and they're taking it all in. And when right. they see an entire world yeah. that embraces certain things. Yep um it it's it's just it's very very difficult for them not to assimilate and for it not for them not to acculturate. That's right. Um, into that. And so exposure is important. So I, what I'm saying is we Christians should set boundaries. Absolutely. We should set boundaries for the things that we're exposed to. Yeah. I am not propo- proposing any kind of monastic living. Right. Don't don't hear me yeah. say that.
0: You're not saying put up no. walls and actually cordon yourself no. off from the world. No, no, not at all.
1: Right. No, but it is wise. Yeah. To limit. The Bible says bad company yeah. corrupts good morals. It, like the literal transformation is a bad companionship right. corrupts a um, sort of good view of the world, essentially. Yeah, that's right. And so it just happens. People yeah. say, well, Jesus was friend of sinners. I would argue that Jesus was a friend of repentant sinners. Mm-hmm. Jesus interacted with sinners. He developed friendships with people yeah. who had repented. He always called them to repentance. Jesus never participated in sin.
0: Yeah. I, I, I get this picture of uh, ideally this open border, perfect world that says, "Come in here." When you come in here, though, you'll never leave the same. That's right. And 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 so it's open borders. Come on. Yeah. Come here. But when you come here, it's magical. That's right. And it's going to change you, right? And so, yeah, absolutely. It's not a literal monastic lifestyle. Right. It is living inside the kingdom with an invitation for all to come. Mm-hmm. But understanding when you come here, though, you're changed. Right. And you're never going to want to be like that again.
1: Yeah. Right. So that that would lead me to sort of the next part. So yeah. it, the next part is, the, is community. Right. Um, the Bible from the very beginning shows that human beings were created in... Um, for a longing for community. Right. We are made in God's image. We, part of that image is the Trinity, the relationships that are inside the Trinity. And very early on, we learned that it's not good for man to be alone. So we long for relationships, right? Right. What we see happening throughout the scriptures as God brings together for himself a people through Abraham and then sort of brings those together, in a t- those guys into a tight community and then gives them laws or gives them wise instruction about how to deal with the world, right. we see that in that community, people can flourish. Yeah. When they're separated from that community, they have a tendency not to flourish. And so what happens is you're describing a, a, a place, an open border place, where people can come in, and when they come in, they see that things are different. Well, the reason that they see that things are different is because that community sort of has a standard of living. Yeah. You can't come into the community. You can't let just anyone come into the community and live however they want. That's right. Because pretty soon, yeah, the folks who come into the community are going to find the same thing they found out there. Right. So there, there is this thing that in the community, there's these relationships where people have expectations of one another. That's right. They build one another up. They bear with one another. They strengthen with one another. It's a, it's a, it's an environment that fosters. Uh, Transformation and progression—that's right—that you can't achieve on your own.
0: Absolutely, it's huge, and 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 you see the bleed over. You got knowledge exposure,
1: then third community.
0: This community, what's forming it? What's the knowledge? Right. Right. So it's the knowledge and the constant exposure to that knowledge that's now forming. Yes. This community that now has this standard because the standard is the knowledge. Yes. What's the knowledge that's got? Yeah. And so now inside this community. There is a standard to live up to, right. and why isn't that? The, why isn't that uh, in subculture Christian language? Why isn't that legalism? Why isn't that a, a law? Yeah. Why is that actually gracious? Man,
1: I think it's because we have to go back and ask ourselves a question. We have to do some world worldview calibration and say what is right and true in the scriptures. What we find in the scriptures is a group of people that believe. If you if you live your life contrary to Scripture, it's going to lead to chaos and destruction. Yeah. Okay. Therefore, if I Miss Jolly, if you see me making certain decisions, that would require you maybe to come to me because I trust you and we develop a relationship, and say to me, Right, Thompson, I think you're you're, you're making some decisions that are going to, that's going to lead to chaos. You do that not because you you want me to act like you. Right. You do that because you fear for my very well-being. Right. Right. The the whole point of being a believer is that we would experience this shalom. Yeah. This right, this oughtness that God has made available to us. And you're afraid that if I continue to live contrary to the map that shows me where the landmines are, I'm going to experience destruction. So you come to me. Right. That's right. The Bible deals with that specifically. Right. How are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to act when someone in our community begins to go off the rails? Right. There's a process. That's right. This isn't something that we're just, as believers, when we talk about um, how we live together in community, we're not going out into secular psychology and bringing in their ideas. Right. We're looking in the Scriptures right. and saying this is how the Bible says we're supposed to live with one another. Right. And when we turn, when when it gets to the nuclear option, right, and we have to say to somebody, "You can't be in our community anymore." Right. If you're going to continually live like this, the Bible says that we, for the sake of their soul, yeah, send them out so that they can experience. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. The, what's, chaos, what's, yeah.
0: the chaos of, of darkness, right? Because yeah. there is this contrast. There's order and peace and good, and order and peace and good is right and fulfilling. And maybe you don't see it until you feel the, the full weight right. of chaos
1: it's on your soul. So there there are a lot of folks out there, and, I, and I'm one of them. I would agree that one of the reasons that the church doesn't look any different, uh, and I, I don't want to say that, that's, that's way too strong much of the church doesn't look different from the secular world is because yeah. we haven't been faithful right to practice what what has been known over the centuries as church discipline. Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. And, and and just to make the connection, when you we're saying community, what we're talking about is the church. Yeah, the community of the kingdom is the way that's the right. terminology we use at Three Rivers. That's right, that's right. And and the reason is that maybe we look like we've assimilated the culture as opposed to assimilating a world into our culture is because we have lived on maybe a different standard
1: yeah and it's idolatry there, there's something that uh, i wanted to mention before we, we finish today there's if you google x-ray questions by david uh Pallison, or Pallison, it's p-o-w-l-i-s-o-n um it's uh comes from a book how people change by paul david tripp and timothy lane there are questions that, that they call x-ray questions there's 34 of them and they, um, they're questions that, that help you kind of peer into your soul. Like, what is it that I value? And it's all about um, identifying idols mm. in, in your heart. And so this, this notion of community, when we choose to live in a way that is different from how God has laid out for us in Scriptures, it's really a rejection of God, which is really idolatry. It's, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's choosing something else yeah. over Him. And believing, either unconsciously or consciously, believing that choosing something other than God is going to lead to my flourishing. Right, right.
0: It's the, it's uh, Baal appeared to get more crops than mm-hmm. Yahweh. Right. It's pragmatic. Like, they do Baal, their crops are flourishing. We do Yahweh, kind of hungry. Maybe. Slaves. Yeah. Wanderers. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we ought to add a little Baal just in case yeah. right and so you begin to assimilate who's the danger of pragmatism as a worldview. not yeah. that pragmatic is wrong but pragmatism as a worldview view it's deadly yeah if it works yeah. do that that's right well Yashura, Baal let's bring them on in Molech right. yeah let's add that to Yahweh and then maybe all things will work out well for right. us right and so that that's what we find we're far too sophisticated and Satan knows this so our gods are a lot more nefarious mm-hmm. but we just ass- assimilate them into us yes. whether it be sports heck for that matter whether it be religious institution mm-hmm. right we worship the institution versus right. the essence perhaps let's well, get down in the hairs a little bit but nonetheless we assimilate to a standard outside rather than
1: bringing the outside in and mm-hmm. showing the value of the kingdom of the yeah. yeah. well the great idol to me of of the western world in the last three, four hundred years is our own wisdom our own knowledge our own intelligence our own own technology that's right we don't need God anymore that's right because we can heal ourselves we don't need God anymore we've got the answers because science has given us the ability to drill down to what's really true yeah and this business of of this supernatural metaphysical God that's out there that you can't see right we don't need him anymore. That's right. We're going to take a break here for just a second,
0: and then we're going to come back, and we're going to wrap up talking about service. Mm. And so we'll be right back. All right, Keith, one one thought before we move on to service. I just had this thought when you said the word science. I had I was listening to a podcast the other day talking about some issues of sexuality and mm. dealing with science. And um, and right now, science is in the news because of the coronavirus. I find it interesting that... Uh, Science is the go-to standard for determining our actions until science is inconvenient, <laughs> right? And I was thinking, oh my, because that—that's that, the big one, right? Science and and uh, and our continual exposure even to science as a worldview shows science is incomplete or. Not sufficient for the standard, mm-hmm. because if it's inconvenient, all of a sudden it turns into philosophy. Yeah, that's right. Have a philosophical position. No science. No, 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 no. Wait a second. That doesn't prove my point. Yeah. Science is king until science isn't. That's right. And then you've got bad philosophers. Well,
1: And at the end of the day, it all goes down to, it It finally ends up in theology. It does. It finally ends up in morality, Yeah. right, wrong. Um, can yeah. science tell us? That's right. The right thing to do. That's no. right. Science, even even scientists, scientism yeah. would help. You, would say that no, we we give you the facts.
0: That's right. The ultimate uh, deception is when theology gets called philosophy or science, mm-hmm. and and uh, and we can't see that science is being used theologically. That's to right. answer theological questions, yes, and uh, so that's that's a different discussion. Yeah, a different discussion <laughs> it was but burning in my
1: soul. Well, and it's it's one of the things that we're exposed to, that's like right. just insidiously, this yeah. notion that science can give us the answers. It's the thing that we ought to depend on. It's the Tower of Babel of yeah. the twenty first century. Yes, it is. That's yeah. right,
0: and it, and it's totally incomplete. Yeah. All right, uh, service. Service.
1: So service is sort of the, the practical part of transformation. Um, you, you get this notion that um, we, we had. Uh, you brought this up, Mitch, and reminded me. I think David is sort of the best the best analogy when it comes to how does service help us um, experience transformation in a healthy way. Well, David, at, at the time when men went off to war, David right. was back in the palace. Yeah. Hanging out looking at the top of everybody's houses. That's right. Um, and so because David was not out doing the thing that, that kings do and that men do, right? he was exposed to all sorts of things that might sidetrack him. That's right. And what it leads to is his experience with Bathsheba and right. just, um, just this cascade of events that he really just could never recover from, really. Right. Um,
0: it definitely he, set the standard for really right. the rest of his rule. Yeah, and he, he
1: he repented and he did what he needed to do, but he never really, he couldn't escape from yeah. the, the damage from that decision. Right. So what, the service part, so if, you know, there's knowledge, we need to understand the world rightly in order to, to make right decisions. Um, we can help us understand, we can help ourselves understand the world rightly by building certain boundaries in our lives and certain hedges. And then um, we join with a community who's there with us that can help us highlight the glory of God and appear to the rest of the world. Not only appear, but the rest of the world will be able to find us light in Mm -hmm. a very dark world Mm -hmm. if we do community right. Well, then that manifests itself in service. Like you get inside this holy huddle, so to speak. This This is the part of this that's... That would help people understand. No, they're not talking about being monks that are going to move away into some place. No, right? We're going to we're going to find a community in which we where we can live, where we can strengthen ourselves, where we can strengthen our children, and then we're going to take that passion and information and that um, that right view of the world, and we're going to look out and see people who need it. Right. And so then we're going to take the resources that God has given us, time, gifting. The ability to communicate, the ability to sing, the ability to create—all these incredible things that are God's gift to
0: us—they're
1: yeah. given to us as we're stewards over those things. Those things don't belong to us. That's right. If I, I talk to my kids, look—if you ever become a great athlete, yeah. it's not because of you, right? And it's not for you, right? Though you can experience incredible joy from it. Right. That gifting is supposed to point people, right, eventually, back to God. So, mm. what? How are you spending? The gifts mm. that God has given you in this rebirth and this regeneration to go back into the world and do battle on His behalf because if you don't use those gifts that way, you're not going to flourish. Mm. You're not going to experience the transformation that we read about in the Scriptures. Like, why am I not experiencing the joy that's promised? Well... It could be. This isn't true for everybody. It could be that you are a dead sea. You've taken the gifts and things that Mm. God has given you, and you're not pouring them back out. I heard Tony
0: Evans say one time, don't be a cul-de-sac of blessing. Mm. Be a conduit of blessing, because the cul-de-sac is the dead sea. It receives and never has an outlet, and because it never has an outlet. it Becomes lifeless. Yes. And so it's it's this. Okay, I know I'm in right community. I have the right culture. Now there has to be an action of outlaying yes. this out for the glory of God and for each other on mission
1: together. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Inside that community, with the right ba- with the right boundaries and with the right understanding of the world, I know that um, if I'm John Maxwell, this great gift of communication has got to be used and leveraged mm-hmm. for the kingdom of God. If it's not advancing the kingdom of God, it's a hijacking yeah. of God's resources. Yeah. Even if it's in me, right, and it's not going to lead to transformation and flourishing, it's going to lead to some sort of inward look, which always leads to chaos and destruction.
0: Man, that's good. Brody Holloway uh, always says he says to his his young men that he disciples that you should get up in the morning and go hard all day laying out for the kingdom of God for the sake of the good news leave it all on the, the field and go to bed at the end of the day absolutely exhausted because you gave every ounce of yourself for the glory of God and the advancement of the good news right. around the world and you should go to bed absolutely exhausted and then go to sleep trusting God's awake and He's got right. it and, and, and that it's hard if you do that to fall into
1: unproductive right. acculturation. Yes. It's it's in my mind this is this is this dates me a little bit but it's Michael Jordan with a basketball in his hand yeah. on the basketball court. Yeah. As opposed to Michael Jordan with a baseball bat in his hand, right. <laughs> you know Michael was a great athlete yeah. and he was a really a good baseball player. Yeah, but he was cra- he was made to, to play basketball, right? That's like right. athletically and physically. Absolutely. Um, the Christian who is just kind of scratching their head, like, "Where's the joy?" Right. Maybe the maybe Michael Jordan at the plate with a bat in their hand. they they're not pursuing the thing that God has called them to pursue, right. and not in the arena in which He's called them to pursue it. And this is where it's super exciting. This is where, to me, um, it, just get, it gives me chill bumps that the great God of the universe, the creator God of the universe, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God, the Father of Jesus Christ, has given me a little old speck of a human being on planet Earth, in the universe, has given me this opportunity to experience flourishing because I can join Him in the work that He is doing to literally transform the world. Yeah. And if I choose not to do that, mm. every yeah. every human being craves a purpose. Yeah, that's why you know, purpose-driven life. It's right. Sold over thirty million copies because people get it. They did. That's right. They get it completely. That's it. I,
0: I think something that, that's vital here is the community is not a prepackaged shape that everybody has to fit into. Mm-hmm. The community begins to take the shape of the people who are laying everything out yes. for the sake of the gospel and then it becomes a transformed community because what we, where we live the community has a tendency to take the shape to try to get people to come into it mm-hmm. apart from the reason for coming into it yes. as opposed to looking like a bunch of people who are ragged and worn out yes. for the pursuit of something that's worth dying for yeah. And which means it's going to look radically different than anything we've likely ever seen and probably not prescribed what it looks like. It's going to take the shape of
1: the people laying themselves yeah. out for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. And it's it's spirit led. You know, the, the, the spirit is going to if we if we committed ourselves to understanding rightly. Yeah. Um, in a community where we are. Um, we are shaped and guided by a group of people who are also being led by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Then yeah, then then we go out and we do things that the Holy Spirit calls us to do, and that's the 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 great thing about um, about that community is that they they help me not make wrong decisions. That's right. I mean, the Holy Spirit. I can the the enemy can show up appearing as an angel of light. Yeah. There's a way in which I might think I'm hearing from the Lord, but when I bring it to the community, they say, No, I I don't think so. None of us are so spiritually mature right. that we may not miss something. I need Mitch Jolly and yeah. and people in our church to help me yeah. get confirmation about the service that I'm that I want to go out and do. You're sent to do service out from the local church. That's right. That's right. You don't get to just go willy-nilly, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> right. 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 Transformation happens right. when you're in fellowship. With the body of Christ. Yeah. And then you're confirmed and sent out yeah. through that body to Absolutely. do the thing that, that God's called you to do.
0: That's huge. That's massive because our service has a level of accountability. Yes. Accountability for righteousness. It means it shuns sin, which means there's a because of who we know, there's a standard for right and wrong. We limit our exposure to sin. We okay. increase it to righteousness. We lay ourselves out, and in community, that goes forward together. Yeah. I mean, that—that's that, a recipe for what's well, transformation. Yeah. It's a recipe for transformed life that's on mission,
1: and—and uh, and that's exciting. It, it's super exciting. I mean, there—there's no other worldview available to mankind yeah. that can promise that. Yeah. And I, 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 of course, I believe with all my heart that that promise is completely attainable. Yeah. It's, it's reachable for anybody who will give their life full on to God and submit to His authority. That's right. That hope is, it's like, it's inspiring. It's, it's full it is. Of, it's full of motivational energy. and um, Absolutely.
0: All right, so Keith, as we wrap up, if there's one thing you'd want to say... To somebody listening, final thought: What would you say to them today?
1: I would say, um, I would say that transformation occurs through right, through right seeing of the world. Uh, it's worldview. Right. It's you. You can't be transformed if you've got a wrong view of the world. If you've got bad intel. Right. If you've got bad intelligence. Right. Um, in, a, in a theater of war, it's it's going to be impossible to win. We've got to do the hard work, and um, to to understand the world rightly, and then, with that understanding, engage, 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 to the glory of God and to the good of the world, but to the fulfillment and satisfaction of me. Yeah. That's right. Like that, that there's and you know there's this uh, notion of Christian hedonism that Piper talks about. It's like doing things for my good. Like I'm I'm leaning into this because it's going to bring to me good. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. That's supposed to happen in the Christian faith. Yeah. But to serve God right and to full on just lay it out on the line, like Brody would say, leave nothing on the field for him. Yeah. Is going to leave me in bed at night exhausted. Yeah. But with a peace of mind. Yeah. that is utterly fulfilling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can rest. My sleep will be sound. Yes. Barring too much food or something else, my sleep will be right. sweet, right? Trusting the Lord. I guess one of the things I would say to, to, to people, if they're listening to this, is major on knowing God and these mm. other things begin to yes. fall in line. My hero, George Mueller... Um, Because of the time in which he was raised, seeking God was a a matter of vocation that paid a good salary. Mm. And so his father, because of his foolishness as a kid, as a teenager, young 20-something, sent him off to seminary because he could get a good job and be paid. And he talks about, I was unconverted.
1: Mm.
0: But because of how the structure of government and church worked, he couldn't just preach so they would gather in small groups because that's what they did. And somebody read a printed sermon. I didn't even know who wrote the sermon. And he talked about him being strangely warmed. Mm-hmm. And he was converted, changed. And from that point forward, his discipleship was God's Word, know God. And because he got to know God, God birthed out of that man church. A culture of caring for the least, and particularly his service to the orphans in, mm. in Great Britain at the time, which is what miracle he's known for. After miracle, miracle after, after miracle. miracle, because he knew the God yeah. who is the source of all knowledge, yeah. and and uh, and so if people are listening to this, I would say go to your Bible. You don't need a degree; just read. Mm. Major on knowing God, and He will take care of birthing the rest of mm-hmm. this. If you just know God. There's no way to know God and be unproductive. If you know God, He will take care of working this out in you. And and as Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is life. This isn't hard. Mm -hmm. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Keith, that's true. It is true. (laughs) is true. It is true. And so know God. He will work the rest of this stuff out. Well, guys, thanks for listening today. We're glad you're with us. Keep listening. Email us with questions you have. And we'll see you next week. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions if you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week. and Until then,
1: deuces.